Welcome to Season 2 of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real-life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and feelings of hopelessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. All right, super excited to be returning for the second season, uh, Dr. Oda. Uh, do you mind if I call you interchangeably Dr. Oda and Meredith? Is no. That- <laughs> How would you like me to address Dr. You? Oda or nothing. <laughs> okay, nothing it is. No, just- Here we go. So- <laughs> call me whatever you want. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, nothing. So here's casual terms. Okay, okay. So uh, first question before we really dive into sort of the theme of this season, it was just wondering, like, what are the top, they don't have to be like super important, but what are two things that you might remember from the last time we spoke? Um, the thing that I remember and that I've been kind of mulling over is that you know, like the theme of the show, the, the tools that we bring with us um, and some of the, how some of them are less desirable than others, that not all the tools that we bring with us are, are positive or useful or <laughs> in any way constructive. I mean, maybe. I mean, we are at a completely different time uh, in our lives, uh, seasonally, and everything now than when we last spoke, which, by the yeah. way, it was like a whopping two weeks ago. So we spoke <laughs> two weeks ago, and um, and so much has transpired in those yeah. 14 or so days. And so, yeah, I think right about now, we might be definitely noticing <laughs> in there, done that thing um, that maybe we shouldn't have uh, brought with us in this moment. <laughs> So um, anything else uh, grab your attention or, or that you remember from the last time we spoke? Um, no, I mean, we're, I mean, well, I, you know, we were talking about uh, incarceration and kind of some of the possible, I guess, again, with how useful or not useful or how detrimental it is, some of the tools that we have in the past that we bring with us here, but how, you know, obviously not all of those tools, some of those tools can be repurposed for the good, hopefully. Yes. And specifically, we were talking about sort of the re-entry or the sort of, you know, reconciliation of what happens when incarcerated or encamped people, um, in, in the case of what we were talking about before, Japanese Americans during World War II, like how exactly do folks come back into a community when the community has just said, you are not one of us? Um, and you're the enemy and you must be locked up and put away. And Mm -hmm. so um, sort of, you know, keeping that and holding that in some sort of, you know, space um, this season is more specifically about consumption. What are we eating, Mm -hmm. using, buying, and also coincidentally, the opposite of consumption turns out is development. So also what are we building up? What are we growing? What's Mm -hmm. improving gradually over time? But in the same frame of like before the pandemic and now, maybe you could just share with us, you know, on a personal level, what were you consuming 
before the pandemic and what are you consuming now? And that is not just like product consumption. It could also be information, right? It could also be culture. Um, so what were you and your family consuming before and what, if anything, has changed about your current consumption? I would say in terms of information, and this is probably for, true for a lot of, you know, I was fully consumed by sort of the political uh, world and what was going on, right? We are, mm-hmm. I mean, this was a month and a half ago, but we are fully in it with the Democratic primary and trying to winnow down the, uh, um, to the, to the Democratic candidate. Right. Um, and that just seemed all encompassing. And it seemed like I was waiting with bated breath for every new primary or every new caucus that was coming down the line, um, reading or listening to everything I could about the primary system and, um, or just the primaries on the state at the state level and how they're going and how they're shaking down and what the, the details of the local concerns were. And, um, now it just seems like even before Bernie Sanders left, it was, and I, I have no idea when that was, if that was like two weeks ago or if it was in fact before. <laughs> it feels <laughs> like maybe three talks. weeks ago, maybe even a yeah, month. That Let's just go right. with that. That sounds right. But I guess even so post COVID post quarantine, now it's just anything that's political that pops up democratic or Republican. I just like swipe down impatiently. Like, why are you in my newsfeed? I need to get to the COVID stuff. Not even, not that all, you know, it's not like this is useful. It's not like I can do much with this information. It's just, you know, that is what I'm fully consumed by and want to consume the most. So I would say that has changed a lot. Um, so like, I feel like my universe is kind of contracted to like COVID, the response to COVID. But, but what I'm wondering is this consumption that you were doing mm-hmm. before, what format was it? Radio, print media, television, were you scrolling? Like how exactly was it all consuming? How were you getting this? Oh. News? Um, so newspaper, either um you know our local ones nevada independent or the reno rgj gazette journal or uh usually the new york times probably and podcasts i had like a sort of stable of political podcasts that i'd listen to um and then a handful of other websites mostly but what, national, but, but what happened so why why turn all of that off well i guess i would say actually maybe i should revise that so so a lot of that content is actually I still go to the same places so what I focus on like so when I look open up the New York Times that is the the section that I go to like so um and so clearly this is the same thing as everybody because all the political stuff maybe too because it's it's less urgent now that we have the candidate and nothing will happen until whenever the conventions are um so they're kind of more in you know a holding pattern there so they've dropped down you know, in the, the feed, the, the newspaper feed. And I just focus on, you know, kind of what's at top. Um, and then just any political stuff that tends to come in also tends to be about COVID stuff anyway. And that's true for the political podcast I listen to as well, because of course you can't separate out um, the virus and its response and its consequences from politics. So maybe it's, less that I've changed what I'm consuming, but also my int- what I'm interested in has changed somewhat. And then also, I guess this, this, the mediums that I've, the forums kind of that I've turned to in the past themselves have turned more directly to 
COVID stuff too. So like all the political podcasts are all about sort of political responses to the COVID virus or political responses to the devastating consequences or the way in which politics is regrouping to address the various issues and needs that come up. So, so other than the uh, lack of separation, like you can't separate the, the presidential election from what's happening with COVID, um, like what, what would you say is like the biggest, biggest change that you've noticed that you've been like tracking in this time? Because it, it occurred to me that and it's not, a, it's, it is coincidental, but it's so weird how like right before COVID really became front and center as the thing that the news and all of us were consumed by, that it, there was a lot about the presidential election and mostly the narrowing down, right, of who's going mm-hmm. to be on the Democratic side. So now we know who's going to be on the Democratic side. There are no more candidates. It's going to be Joe Biden. And there's a convention to really sanction that. And there might be something that bubbles up there since everything has changed so dramatically. But nevertheless, do you see, like, right now, shouldn't we be seeing a lot of commercials about, like, Joe versus Trump, you know, like Biden versus Trump? Like, I don't see anything. I don't see the, the, the presidential, you know, sort of like debate in many ways happening. It's like, I don't, it's almost as if I forgot that there's yeah. a presidential election in the fall, just months away. And I wonder if that's actually by design. So are you noticing anything happening um, that feels worthy of, of sharing or noting at this time? Um. I mean, I guess part of it just seems that it's it's kind of the nature of the way election or campaigning had been happening. It's just not suited for, or actually in some ways it is, right? Like we're stuck at home. They've been political campaigning, knowing how to figure out how to use social media, how to use commercials. That's or texting that's all we got folks. Right yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I'm getting texts and I'm getting some of that stuff. But I mean, yeah, it must be sort of, I feel like it is, is, yeah, it has to be by design, right? So Biden kind of feels, probably feels like he can win to some extent just by letting Trump dig himself into a deeper and deeper hole. And so maybe for him and his campaign, it makes the most sense to just let that happen and kind of just stay out of the way. Um, I mean, there's a lot of that. There have been different times in the in Biden's political campaign where it's almost as if you can tell um, when he is not prepared, like oh, when he God, wasn't yeah. ready to answer that question. He's horrible, and it's it's kind of like the same between the two cabinet uh, ca- cabinets candidates. You have folks that when Trump goes off of the you know prepared speech or off the teleprompter, everyone's all no, no, um, and and Biden likewise. Same thing with Biden. <laughs> Yeah. And so to your point, like, you know, Biden's best way of winning is by staying out of the way, because we have right now a rise in every day. There's a White House um, press conference about what's happening. Those might end. Yeah, yeah. Those seem to be ending because more and more it started out where Trump would start out and say, hello, here's what I think. Here are the doctors. And the doctors would come out and say a bunch of things. And then Trump would come up and say some shenanigans and be over. And slowly, I don't know if you've noticed this, but even in the press conferences, like the doctors aren't even up on the stage anymore. They're now seated off on the side. It is more and more just Trump taking up space. And last week, I think we should note that last week, Trump said 
that, you know, oh, maybe, Jesus. maybe there's something to um, the whole bleach and cleaning supply stuff. Like maybe, maybe Inject somebody, it. yeah, somebody Clean should look line. into it. Yeah. Like what would happen if we ingested it? Like what? Right. So oh, this yeah. is, so, so maybe the Biden campaign's philosophy is say nothing so that you look like the best choice because you have said nothing that makes you look like the bad choice. Oh yeah, there's no way for him to put his foot in his mouth to do something idiotic to yeah. uncomfortably embrace a woman standing next to him. There's just so many ways in which he can just And that's the story that's probably ended the most flat. So besides yeah, right? besides that the was- presidential election, we also had the Harvey Weinstein um court cases coming out finding him guilty. So we had this like big moment for the Me Too movement of the last couple of years. And so, you know, men have been put on notice, right? Individuals have been put on notice. If you do not get consent and you have these, you know, sexual assaults, um, that you will be held accountable. And yet we have Trump who has had history of this, has paid people off in civil suits and is still the president. Um, And then we also had recently um, accusations about Biden also having sexually assaulted um, a staffer um, many years ago. And that story kind of like came up and Mm -hmm. and left. And just like, yeah, like I, I wonder when news is just going to be news and not within the lens of, of COVID or that be the top line. Like you were saying, like you have to yeah. scroll kind of you know, much further down to get to the political part. And it's all about, you know, COVID. Um, anything else worth noting? Uh, well, wait a minute, Meredith, Dr. Yeah. Oda, you're not living on the news. Like, I know you're not, like, you're not getting by with just the news. So what what else is happening in your home about consumption? Like, ha- has your eating changed at all? What about music? It's our weight loss Games? plan. We just it's- now consume news. <laughs> this is this is your weight loss plan? Yeah, just consume the news. It, it'll make you not eat, sometimes eat, you know, all the things. Just start pacing. I did see a picture of you recently online where you were face down on the ground, um... And you looked exhausted, like th- everything was just out of you. And there was a small child um, standing next to you, almost as if they were responsible for this. Um, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? Oh God! Just I think week six was a bit of a a bit of a downer, or at least the first half of week six. By the time like the blended days of the second half of the week, it was a little better, but just. You know, it's like kind of, you know, it's day by day. So I feel like up until that point, we'd kind of figured out how to get by, how to get along. We come up with a semi-schedule that was semi-working. And then week six kind of hit and it was like, it's been a month and a half. We're just, I don't know when it's going to end. It's just going to kind of keep going. And it was a little exhausting. So we, that was, that was a reflection of my of my week six (laughs) wait you had the schedules like did you all stop sticking to the schedules or did the schedules stop working no you know what it's funny because well maybe a little of both they kind of stopped working for me I don't I was just tired so last week where we had actually had you know up until that point we had a pretty good schedule of um homeschooling stuff, little recess thrown in there, maybe some arts and crafts, some FaceTiming with friends or family. 
And it was like enough and then considerable amount of screen time. And it was enough to like break up the day until 5 p.m. cocktail hour. And then, yeah, I don't know, last week, it was just the early part of the week. It was just a little bit like, this is, this is what we got. This is it. This is it. This and you were nine, still nine doing 30. the schedule? No. So last week it was like, no, it kind of went a little bit out the window. So I just read her Harry Potter, however much she wanted, tried to tune her out, which she started to whine and I don't know, refocus in on mealtimes or something. So yeah, the schedule, not so much last week, but we went back to it a little bit this week. Well, it's only Today. Monday. It's, Monday. it's only Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and actually it was upended again because Jared had her for the morning this time. So, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. I mean, by the end of the week, I think we've kind of gotten a little bit more of a schedule back. No, not really. We just all got a little tired. We're all a little tired. A little tired of trying to force the homeschooling. A little tired of, you know, probably each other. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, lots of news consumption. Um, (laughs) But would you say, would you say, what else has changed in consumption? Like, are you... Like I, I, I know from the last time we spoke and you, you mentioned it a little bit right now, like there has been this, this Harry Potter um, that has a lot of beautiful illustrations in it that you've been reading as a family. Um, and apparently that is still happening. Thankfully, oh, there's Harry a lot Potter. of books, thank God. Yes. <laughs> thank God that they are long books and that there's many books in the series. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be a minute. Um, but what else, you know, is also going on? I, I know that Jared plays music. I know that you know how to play music. Um, is anything like that happening? Was any of that happening before? Anything else worth noting about your consumption? Otherwise, I'm going to really dive deeper here in this development part. Okay. Uh, consumption, consumption. I, you know what? The funny thing is, I think that is like, so food, more or less the same, Um and maybe where we get it from is a little different. Like we make sure to go to the co-op, the local co-op or the farmer's market for most of our things or the supermarket down the street since it's right here. Um, then are you, know, you still paying of, for the gym? We're still paying for the gym. Are you going to use the, the gym? gym? No, obviously we're not going to the gym, but we're and they didn't halt it. No, actually, I should check into that. They haven't, I don't, we just got a message that they've closed and I don't know what's going on with our fees, hmm. which we're paying for. Yeah. Okay. And, and you were, you were one of the, you know, the, for many of us, what we aspire to be in the past before the pandemic, not only did you pay for the gym, you went to it. <laughs> I did. Yeah. As a person with some amount of anxiety, really a little cardio, helps keep things in check yeah so now you're like maybe the rest of us paying for the gym and not going (laughs) not going (laughs) so welcome welcome to the real version of being a a gym member so what are you doing then like uh instead of the gym are you are you still running are you running outside are you going for Uh, walks yeah I go for so yeah I try I try to do something every day because again like it just kind of keeps things the head from exploding so Mm -hmm. um i go for walks or i've been jogging um or i do you know youtube videos i guess my consumption of youtube videos have gone up there is a whole world out there of you type in how to make my butt bigger into youtube and there's like a galaxy of of videos did you not know this before 
Had you not ever like lagged into YouTube? Never, like it would never have occurred to me to like, I could go to my class at the gym, which is much funner. Or I could, I don't know, just zone out to Netflix at, on an elliptical machine or something. And so it would never have occurred to me to look onto YouTube. But so now I do that or I, my friend uh, is part of this cardio dance class in LA they do that by zoom so I was yep. gonna say you were pushing that one out for a little bit so you've been going to your friend did you go to your friend's class before I did but of course that was in person I when I was in so oh. this was in LA so when I was in LA for that month and a half or month or whatever it was I was going there and then now um because of course that's shut down they've opened it up to zoom um and now for them I think it's huge because I mean, I don't know how sustainable this ultimately is, but they've been getting like 150, 200 people to these classes um, because from like Berlin, or I think there's somebody from Berlin, or of course there's me from Reno, or there's people from, there's somebody I think from uh, someplace in Chile or something. So like people are coming from all over. I don't know how they're coming to this thing, but, and signing up for this class. Yeah. So, so I forgot you were on sabbatical this year. This is yeah. supposed to be the year that, that you have this money to do research and writing mm-hmm. and all the sort of, you know, um, sleeping and napping and exercising, <laughs> doing all the things to like replenish that other part of mm-hmm. your job as an academic to actually produce new theories, new ideas, new information. Um, and at what point in your sabbatical do you think this sort of like cut in? Is this like maybe the last third or is this a quarter or is this like a half of your sabbatical that Mm -hmm. is not, it has been interrupted because of the pandemic? So I guess it was, let's see, uh, January, February. So what mid March, early mid March is when we all went down. So, so that's two months into eight months which is yeah I don't know okay that math went out the door but so maybe like two-thirds so two-thirds if I was two-thirds into my sabbatical when this when shit began to fall so you are interrupted the last third yeah about a third which in many ways is like the most important third because it was like, do all the research, consume all the new information, and then really start to, you know, put some things down and make a plan. Also, that'd able- be like when the shit was hitting the fan, right? That'd be like, oh shit, I only have half of my sabbatical left. I've really got to get on this. Like, yeah. no more naps in the afternoon. Yeah. I'm going to be like, no more online window shopping. Exactly. I am going to use my time. I'm going to optimize my time. And that is, yeah, that shit is gone. Oh my God. Okay, so... Does this make you want to tell the university that you deserve another third oh, later? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone I talk to on leave says the same thing because, you know, like, whether or not you have kids, your time is totally different now. Like, and so much yeah. of it is spent in living in your head and being stressed or anxious or worrying yeah. about whatever it is. So, oh, yeah, I think because so I was going to be traveling. I was going to be spending at least a month and a half in Chicago right. to do some research. That's gone. Um, I was going to be, yeah, of course, going through the stuff that I had found in the fall. Um, and I was going to take little trips to the Bay Area to go to the archives there. Um, so all of so, what, would, so what would compensate that? Like a semester off? Yeah, I mean, I think for all of us, it would have to be 
yeah, like just some kind of equivalent time. Like, so another friend of ours is, he just had the semester off and that entire, so his entire sabbatical is Oh, because he, he elected not out. to have the whole year just he to have the have semester. Just the, the semester. Um, and so, you know, he had a good month and then poof. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm real sorry about that. Uh, yeah. It's Ooh. sad. So I then, mean, so the, let's, let's change up then to the next question, question, which is about development. So it's the same question about, you know, what were you developing before and what are you developing now? And this is really where the conflict is because you were developing before in the middle of this sabbatical, really your, your research, you know, process and practices um, mm-hmm. for this time and getting things ready. And now how are you, how, what are you working on right now? What are you trying to build up and grow right now? related to your sabbatical and and this development stuff like how do you think you're going to pivot besides asking for that time to be replaced what are you doing right now in this time are you doing any research any writing any work that you would have been doing um for your sabbatical now well what's kind of nice is and i'm i'm gonna have to figure out how to apply this later on but anything that's fairly discreet that that can be um clearly bookmarked or clearly sort of scheduled um with clear deadlines i think is is what's gonna is gonna be the best thing to happen because as it is now um jared and i have my significant other we've we've sort of blocked out the day into um you know he gets three hours in the morning i get three hours after him and um so in that three hours, you've got to factor in there's some break times, there's some settling down time. So it leaves like two, two and a half hours to really focus. Um, and so stuff has to happen in, in that time. And of course, things you know, under normal circumstances, that could be, I mean, that's not much time, especially, you know, when I was hoping to have full days, especially when I'm doing things like going through documents, sifting through stuff, reading through a ton of documents. That takes a lot of time and it just... Um, you know, it can take hours to go through a report or something like that. So that kind of stuff takes time. It's also, it's easier to get distracted. Um, it's easier to think like, well, I'll just, you know, I'm halfway through this, this thing. I'll just, or, you know, and, or just sort of get distracted, wander off a little bit. Um, when it's something like, well, I have this whole stack of stuff that I have to get through, you know, one document at a time and, it's easier to sort of lose track. Uh, but when you have, so right now I have an article that I have to revise and resubmit. Um, and it came with uh, a slightly unrealistic. So the acceptance came the day that we got notice that the schools were shutting down and we were going to have to be with Eleanor the entire time. So in that case, um, that I didn't even open up the email, I think, because I got the email from the school district before I got the email mm-hmm. from uh, the, the journal. And I just didn't even open it up until two weeks later when I opened it up and realized, <laughs> oh, my God, their deadline that they had suggested was today. It was like two weeks from that initial point. <laughs> so I just had to uh, write them and say, like, I'm so sorry. I wasn't even able to open this until now. So I pushed the deadline back another unrealistic two weeks for myself, not knowing, you know, how work happens in this time, um, knowing that there wasn't that much that I had to do, but again, like just not being able to in any way project a schedule, a timeline onto the kind of work I'd be able to do. Um, but so as a result, like that is something that's 
that's kind of good that I can get done because it has a clear deadline. Um, and like, it has to get done. It's supposedly going to come out in, I think the next journal or the next, maybe the next issue, but, or the issue after that, but anyway, fairly soon. So I have mm-hmm. to get it done. Um, and there's clear things. I have to get permissions for photographs. I have to revise this framework. I have to add in some stuff here. I have to look at this new body of research that they suggested. So all that's very clear and it's, you know, time sensitive. And so that's been really helpful. Like having discrete things with clear deadlines. It's, I think how I'm going to make this, this work. I don't know how I'm going to apply it to just like this mass of documents that has to be gone through, Yeah, but I'm going to have to figure out a way to do that. Oh my gosh. But I mean, I think what I've been noticing over the last few weeks is we keep all trying to make um, an abnormal way of going through life fit in, in, in the normal way we used to do things. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it reminds me of um, when you have a suitcase that you really were thinking, this is the suitcase I'm taking on that trip. And you start to pack it and clearly something has to give. You either can't take everything you wanted to take with you or lucky you, you need a new bag. You know, and and so you you're in this decision point, this choice point of do I get a bigger bag or do I take less with me? And I think right now we're like, no, it's fitting in this goddamn bag, right? So like everybody's everything is still working and trying to work, and yet it's not, right? Like you all started out like we're gonna make a schedule. Yeah, we can do this. We can make a schedule like they do at school, and like we have, we can make other ones on Instagram. Like this has to be how it's done. Exactly. If Instagram is doing it, if it's on YouTube, it's got to be real. And then you actually try and do it and it doesn't, it doesn't quite work out. It's like you've got the recipe, but somehow even when you follow it exactly, it still has room to not quite go as before. And yet there are other things coming in that I didn't expect. For example, were you ever volunteering at a food bank before this pandemic? (laughs) That would be no. Sadly. So, so you weren't volunteering at a food pantry before, and now you are. Tell, tell us how that started. Like, how did you even know where the local food pantry was? Because I don't know where it is. And, yeah. and how did you even start going in there? And what made you do that? So, I, you know what? I'm not sure. I think it was partly because, I mean, so as an academic, the work that I do, I don't know, like when this article finally comes out, two people might skim through it, right? That's just the way of academic work. Spend all this time on it. And then also like, it's nobody cares. So, you know, like thinking about the way in which Japanese food became popular in the US, not useful right now. Like, I don't know. I utility. I I don't know. Those are the things that like give some of us joy, right? Because it takes us (laughs) out of this moment. Or it, it, It was the thing and we want to stay grounded in the thing that brings us joy and that we're interested in. But I'll go with you here. Two people read it. Nobody cares. Okay. Yes. Or just like shifting through reams and reams of, of document, you know, bureaucratic documents from the 1940s. It's just, it's so hard to find meaning in that kind of thing right now when immediately outside there's urgent needs. There's, you know, I'm so, we are so lucky. Like both of us still have our jobs. We have set incomes. It'll probably, there'll probably be a slight furlough in the future, but it's not going to be debilitating. We both have jobs. We're able to work from home. Um, So as much as we might, might periodically despise our child. We have a ton of time to hang out with her. So, you know, in so many ways that I just felt like we we're so 
lucky, yet this kind of urgency was out there, but it was very abstract in a lot of ways. But the work that I was doing seemed very abstract too. So it just seemed like a way to, I don't know, um, meet what seemed like, you know, the, the kind of urgency. And I'm, I'm sure this is why I've, I've actually noticed that the, the, the uh, lists for volunteering are filling up really quickly. So I assume a lot of people are, are feeling the same way that just, how can I do it? So we can throw money at it. And of course we have, but at the same time, that feels like, I don't know, that feels like I'm not, I don't have that much skin in the game. So, so what did you like do? You went on YouTube and you typed in, how can <laughs> I have meaning in my day to day work? <laughs> like, how did you, how did you decide? Okay. Food pantry. Well, just because like that seemed like the most immediate need. Our most immediate need as people is having, I guess, shelter and then also just having food and knowing that I had a regular source of food that we were not going to, that was not a lack in our lives at all. That just seemed like that would be something I could, I could do. I could go out and help. This, there's a place out there that helps feed people um, and I can donate time as well as money. And also I've been hearing on the news that there was a lot like, you know, there's so much need that food pantries, their lines were backing up for miles. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, but there was still like this dearth of need for stocking those, like the volunteers, at least for a while, it seemed like had really gone down because people were scared of volunteering um, or people didn't have the time or people had lost their own jobs and had to, right. you know, sort of worry about more personal things. So for whatever reason, it seemed like uh, the need was higher, but, you know, the actual people. So I can't lower, ask so. you, I can't ask you what the food pantry process for volunteers was like before the pandemic, mm -hmm. because you weren't there and, and you weren't doing that, but you are there now. Mm -hmm. So can you describe for us, because I, I have no idea what it's like, and I get a little, getting a little afraid thinking about, Meredith, you're so exposed. So like, <laughs> what, what happens when you go in? What is it like to work at a food pantry right now in the middle of a pandemic? What do you have to do? I should also say too, first, that I was scared too. It actually took me a week or two, a couple of weeks, I think, before I actually did it because I was, I was worried, like, should I do this? Would I be exposing other people to the virus? Would I be mm -hmm. coming, bringing it possibly back home? Mm -hmm. um, is this only for people who live by themselves? You know, is this, is mm. this something that I can actually do? Yeah. Um, I was worried about going out and perhaps contacting or spreading the virus. So it did take yeah. me, I mean, so yeah, I was definitely worried about it. Um, and so it took me a while to sort of get around to it. Um, but, uh, but so when I finally did, it was, it, you know, like they make it very easy to do and they make clear on the website that they have protocols in place so that um, you're socially distant. And so when I went uh, or so when I go, it, they, they do it in a warehouse. They do it in this enormous warehouse in, or actually it's not a warehouse. It's not in their usual warehouse. It's in the convention center, which of course right now is echoingly empty. And they have one of the enormous convention rooms and they have, table fold up tables um it must be at least they have two rows of a dozen tables at least a dozen tables sort of set up um with cans set up at each table one person per table um but you can still kind of slide boxes down the table so in no time are you closer really than six feet to any person even though you're in a room with like maybe 30 other people it's this cavernous room and so there's plenty of space to to be socially distanced everybody's wearing masks there's gloves to use hand sanitizers available um uh i don't know clorox wipes and everything so 
you can make your space as sort of clean as, yeah. as, as you want to, or as you feel like you need to, or that you have to. And then um, you just kind of work in an assembly line. I was assembling boxes you push it down to the next person who puts in cans. They push it down to the next person who puts in other cans, right? And then by the end, the person wraps it up and puts it into onto a pallet to be taken. What kind of food is being put in these boxes? You said canned so, goods, but what? So where I was working, it's only canned goods. So it's non-perishable. So Or maybe there's dried things too, like dried beans or dried rice. Um, but, you know, canned vegetables, canned beans, um, maybe canned chili, stuff like that. Just things that are canned. They also have, um, I don't know, I think, I can't remember what they call it, like the harvest something or other, which has fresh produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was working in or what I volunteer in has, has only processed. Do you get to speak to the other people who are six feet to your left, six feet to your right? Who are they? What are they like? Do you, would there have been any other way that you would have met some of them? outside of being in this food pantry? Like how diverse is this group? I think it's so, I was kind of surprised. It seemed, um, it seemed fairly like just, you know, racially diverse. So the woman who is a bit away from me. Um, so yeah, you can talk to people. So there was another, you know, there's other people there that you, um, that you are doing the same task with, or, you know, or the person next to you basically, or the person on the other, the other two sides of you, those people you can talk to anything farther, it gets a little harder. To, to talk to, but I saw a dad with his kid, um, you know, maybe 10 or 12, um, you know, and then sort of older people, people my age, younger people, millennials. Uh, I was talking to um, one of the people I talked to was uh, actually an unemployed accountant. So she'd been working as an accountant for this family company for years um, and then got laid off because they just didn't have any more work. Um, and this was, so she had actually gone that morning that I was talking to her to pick up her own box and then was like, well, I have all this time. And so she came in and volunteered. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not like these are, you know, I don't know. Unfortunately, most of the people in my social circle are people that uh, I know from work. So there are other university professors or other university staff, people who um, I know from work um, and so socialize with out of that. And so this was kind of also a good opportunity to meet other people in the community who I wouldn't ordinarily. I can't, there was a dad and a son there. There was a 12 year old working at the food pantry. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised because it said like the age that you have to be to work is 10 and up to volunteer. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who the kid is going to be. But then, yeah, I wonder who, you know, if there'd be kids there. And then there was actually once this guy with his, a, a guy with his, with his son. And I wonder too, if part of it is like, maybe, I mean, undoubtedly the kid's not in school. And so this is actually probably as far as homeschooling goes, like as good a sort of lesson in community or um, society as, as one could ask for. Um, so in some ways it seemed like a really great idea. And he was sitting there helping, you know, yeah. put cans in the box, sending it on down. Wow. Do you think you're going to keep doing this when the pandemic is done? I know. I wonder. I think I might. I don't see why not. There's there the, there's always unfortunately need for the the food bank, um, and yeah. it is kind of you know again like it just it's just diff, you know it's it's not my usual social circle. It's well, I, I'm and struck, honestly like yeah. it's not much, right? It's like 
two and a half hours out of my day once a week. It's not, it's not much. This isn't onerous. Yeah. But I'm, I'm struck by, by something that you said um, early on when sort of like comparing working at the, at the food pantry and volunteering there and, and talking initially about like your academic work and you, you kept talking about, you know, like meaning, like it, nobody cares, like, does it mean anything? Is that something that, that you would, like, I could dare say is, is developing right now in you, with you, like wanting things to have an important meaning? And is that something that's, that's because of the pandemic? Or do you think that's going to like stick? Or was that already part of like your academic work? Like, does, does your academic work at least have meaning to you? It does. I mean, it does. Like, right, this is partly why, I mean, I don't, so I'm interested in how and how racial thinking uh, develops, how we think about race and racial difference um, and, you know, the kinds of institutions and social networks that we build as a result of, of, of that way of thinking and how those ways of thinking change over time, right? So that's just, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. That's what I'm interested in. And I do think that's important, right? We need to understand if we're going to think about ways that we can dismantle racist institutions, we need to understand how they were built. So I think historical work, um, you know, is important for that reason. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's at the most sort of grandiose idealistic level, but at the same time, you know, in the practical sense, and this is something that, you know, get any two academics in the room and we'll joke about this is the fact that, um, we, we think that, and certainly that is the part of the motivation for getting into this work. But, um, you know, on the practical level, you know, academic books, a blockbuster might sell 400 copies, right? These are, and, you know, some of those might go to libraries and so more than one person might read it. But nonetheless, these aren't books that people read, right? These aren't going to make them, for the most part, New York Times bestseller list. These aren't going to be books that... Um, you know, are sort of popularly read outside of maybe just a small cohort of people interested in the same field, theme, area, region, or what have you that, that you're interested in. Um, so yeah, for a long time, you know, that that's kind of just been like a light joke, like, ah, three people will read it, what does it matter? But no, I mean, I think it does, like, there is kind of more of this I don't know, you know, like we're, we're in this sort of life or death situation and people search for meaning in, in those times, right? And that's, that's kind of when you, you want to feel like what you're doing is, is meaningful. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, a helpful doctor. Kind you're of a, you're, well, you're a doctor of philosophy. You're a doctor <laughs> of words doctor and philosophy. ideas. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Okay, so doctors right now, medical doctors, Mm -hmm. are we call them essential workers we say they're on the front lines we frame this entire moment as if it's like a war um it's a fight uh, we militarize the way that we sort of you know um define and categorize certain things and you are a doctor of philosophy <laughs> what would you say is um you know and and, and you're a historian you know it's got to be really challenging right now to be looking back to find meaning in these important, you know, historic moments and be living in one at the exact same time. Yeah. Like what, what do you, what are you taking away about this moment? Right. And how is, how is, what did you say your, your specific work is on? Like the, the, how things are racialized. 
Yeah, like um, broadly, I'm interested in kind of how racial thinking develops over time and how it changes. And- well, so do you think that this time is changing that or is uplifting and holding, making more concrete something? Like, what are you noticing about how things are happening right now? In the last few weeks since you and I spoke, there have been larger stories and notes about, you know, uh, what sort of cultural background and race of individuals is most, um, you know, fatally uh you know, affected by the pandemic. And so that's definitely got the meaning of your work all wrapped (laughs) up in it, no? Yeah. And I mean, it's not, we were kind of talking about that too in the past week because it was so clear that the people who are most vulnerable were going to die and at faster rates. And the people who are most vulnerable, the people who've been made most vulnerable by systemic racism built up over centuries. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, in some ways, in some ways it's it's not surprising or new because this is something that you could sort of predict. It was very clear. At the same time, I mean, I, I, I guess this is the cynical part. So part of me, I mean, hopefully, right, we should come away with, with, with a sense of how, you know, not only jobs, not only neighborhoods, not only, um, I don't know, college admissions are sort of racially biased um, and inequitable, but also our healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, also, uh, you know, environmental justice, um, all of which have these very apparent manifestations in mortality rates, um, in levels of sickness um, in, with the COVID virus right now. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, right, we've seen that already, right? We saw that with Hurricane Katrina. We saw that with Hurricane is it sandy yeah sandy, sandy yeah. florence all the ladies yes <laughs> um right so it's not like again it's not like this is this is new um i mean and maybe how it it might be developing a kind of new inflection is the way in which that's intersecting with our healthcare system which itself is kind of more politicized these days as you know politicians debate uh, Medicare for all or some kind of universal health care, right? So, I mean, maybe the, the, the clear evidence of inequality in health care um, in like these stark numbers, right, between black and white mortality rates, between brown and white mortality rates um, will, will, will somehow make more apparent the need for some kind of systemic healthcare change. But, but, but here's, here's what's, here's what I am. Um, I'm struggling with, you know, like you, you mentioned some pretty big uh, natural, unnatural man-made disasters um, with these different hurricanes and, um, and systemic racism and issues that were brought up then and surfaced then. And they're surfacing again. Now all these things repeating, and just noting, oh, look, there it is again. Look, there it is again. And yet so much of this systemic racism is, is you know, has been built upon and is strengthened by the roots of, of these lies. And, and I'm worried that as we start to see black and brown folks hit the hardest from this, there are those of us on one side who say, of course, because they were already systemically struggling outside of the pandemic. And so... So what? 
Because at the same time, you have white supremacists saying and upholding their own lies. See, we knew we were superior. We were of course, stronger. Of course, black and brown folks aren't able to, you know, live through a pandemic. Withstand, yeah. We knew that we were more superior beings than them this whole time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like these two camps just get stronger in their roots. See, it's going to happen again. And it does. And see, we know we're better proof is right here right so we're losing the ability to see the systems you know like these things are surfacing and it's hard to see it's hard to avoid and look away from the things that are literally floating right in front of you and towards Mm -hmm. you but i think that in the midst of things being so apparent and so clear in front of you it's hard to zoom out and see the systemic ways in which those things are built up and propped up. It's hard to see the stunt man in the back or the prop people in the back literally holding up different, you know, pieces of this theater that we seem to be in. I just I just feel like we're just noting things that mm-hmm. have already happened that we already knew would happen and I don't know what what comes of it. Like there have been so yeah, many like conversations. Yeah, there have been so many conversations of see, and if we don't get Medicare for all after this, and if we don't make blank changes after this, and my fear is, why would we? Why would we make any changes? We haven't it's, so far. Yeah, we haven't so far, and it's like we got used to it. You know, it's like it's like any other relationship that you know is abusive. How hard is it for you to leave the most abusive relationship? This is, this is where we're at. These are horrible systemic relationships that we are in with one another. And I, I don't know where the change comes in. Like this, any of these changes that you were talking about just in our day-to-day lives happen because an unexpected, unpredicted, for many of us, pandemic came down. So I just, unless it's unexpected, unless it's out of nowhere, I don't know how the change is going to happen next. I know how we go from like, well, I really worry that it's going to hit black and brown folks the hardest too. I expect it. What else can we do? Right. There's like a vast difference between the two. And, you know, like you can go back to Jefferson, like with the white supremacists, you go back to Jefferson who was like, huh, that seems interesting. These black slaves seem to sweat more. And um, what else did he say? Like they really sweat more and I don't know, smell more than white people. And it's like, duh they're working in your fields are they not gonna and you're like sitting in your fancy library writing right it's not a big surprise that the people who are doing all this hard manual labor are somehow sweating more and somehow smelling more right that's just right and so you go from that and now you know white supremacists who who are saying like oh well people are there these brown and black folks are dying more so they just they're somehow much weaker than the rest of us um and Oh, ironically, right, the expectation that they were actually stronger and somehow hardier is why they were drawn, a lot of African people were drawn into uh, chattel slavery in the first place. Well, they're better suited for this kind of hard work. And they're yeah, but, but, the same thing, but you, you and I could sit around and say the, th- the same thing about white folks and be like, well, I know what's going to happen now. <laughs> the white folks are going to say, I need to be free. You know, you're taking away my liberty. You're taking away everything I know. White folks are going to blame black black and brown people for all of their problems. Um, white folks are going to say, see, we are superior. That's why they're dying. White folks are going to um, then also blame us for it, 
right? Like, oh, you know, it's the Chinese. It's another racial minority that's to blame for this. And, and we could be predicting all kinds of stuff but we didn't like I didn't, I didn't find myself predicting that there are going to be all these, you know, uprisings by white supremacists blaming us. And I don't know. I don't know why. I think many of us felt like this is an opportunity for us to show how human we are. This is a, this is the time where we're going to come together. And I, has there really ever been a time where we've come together? Cause even in all those hurricanes, it's not like, you know, during Hurricane Katrina, it, when the white neighborhood hadn't fully been underwater, they stood at their bridge with guns and said, no, 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 you from yeah. the black neighborhood, you don't get to come here. Like we should have, it's, it's almost like we only look for the good during this time. And I'm getting, I, I'm sensing that a lot right now, the development mm-hmm. of, I only want to look at the good, even just in news consumption. Like I don't want to look at the bad parts. I don't even want to talk about the bad parts. And I wonder if that's how we keep having bad parts repeat over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. Or you zoom in on the individual, like I've been noticing. And this is, I mean, this is important, right? To not forget the the, the victims, the people who died, right? But there's, and there's a lot of profiles of people who died of COVID, like individual profiles. The first man to, possibly the first man to have died um, in New York City, or, you know, all of those that we have lost, right? That the New York, the New York Times is documenting right time, right, right now. Um, and you know, that is important because you do want to know, you want to give a face to the the numbers, but at the same time, by zooming in so closely on the individual, it is then easier to kind of lose sight of the webs in which they live that, that might emphasize vulnerability, um, or susceptibility, right. In ways that it might not for others. And so in some ways, yes, this is important. It's good. It's something that we do with mass shootings or what have you, but by focusing in so closely on the individual, it's harder to then step back and see that sort of societal framework, which is still just as sort of influential and shaping, um, as an individual person's, um, right choices or decisions or opportunity. Oh, you, just, you just hit it. You just hit it. Like that is so much of what we do. We, we look to the victims, not the villains. We, we don't look at who's responsible. We look at who's being affected and we hold them up and we look at them as individuals. And even when we look at them as a whole, we don't look at them as a whole to see the patterns, to mm-hmm. see the systemic ways in which this is problematic. And I'm, I'm thinking back to some recent articles that talked about how right now, during this pandemic, the thing that we're really focused on is numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So like numbers are, talk about individual, talk about narrowing it down to individual. We don't even look at people's names. They're just a number now, 30,000, 20,000, you know, 200, 3,000, you know, um, half a million, you know, like it's all about these numbers. And then people started looking at different ways in which we remember these numbers and we sort of, you know, make them human. And there was examples of the Twin Towers, um, sort of, you know, the place where you can go and, and look at the, the waterfall that's mm-hmm. right there by the this like monument now and there's names engraved um, on the um, monument and then looking at the Vietnam Memorial that also has names listed, but it shows the numbers, right? So like what happens when you show the numbers by way of names? And when I remember looking at, you know, all the different times that I have visited the Vietnam Wall um, Memorial because I've, I've been there several times, you know, it's, it's on purpose made out of this marble so that it reflects, 
right? Mm-hmm. It's on purpose that when you go and you look at these names, it reflects back your image. And people tend to go there. And if they know if the loved one is named there, they'll like take a pencil and a paper, right? And sort of like etch it and take it with them. But we never see the wall and notice all the Latinx names, all the people who are African-American, all the folks by age. It doesn't say their age. We don't see all these folks who are incredibly young. They're, they're children. They're 18 and 19 years old. And so we don't really get to see the full story of who died and who sacrificed and who was called by name and number and, and who was just thrown into uh-huh. that war, right? In the same way, when we look at the World Trade Center, are the immigrants who worked, um, who maybe used a different name, a different ID, but who passed away, who were, you know, the dishwashers and uh-huh. the, the janitors. The yeah, yeah. Are their names there? And does it say janitor? You know, like, do we get to see and look at who was really in that building at that time who died, right? Like, because it's just a number or it's just a name and there's no other demographic uh-huh. information, of course, we don't have then ways to systemically make changes. We can't see the, the way in which no. there's a pattern. We can't see in which, oh, look, there's a lot of poor people on that wall. Right. Oh, look, there's disproportionate amounts of black and brown folks. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, outside of the U.S., people say that we're too like identity politic focused. Like we're so into identities. Like, gosh, y'all just talk about race like way too much. It's not that important. I mean, what do you think? other than the numbers, like what should we be tracking right now? Again, I'm asking you almost to be the historian of the future, right? So you're Dr. Oda, who's like, you know, maybe, maybe you're not even Dr. Oda, maybe you're Eleanor, maybe you're your daughter, <laughs> who also decides to go to grad school, wouldn't be incredibly like far-fetched here, both parents academics, and she's now researching this time. What do you think that you hope that she notices or, or that she doesn't forget along the way of trying to tell the story of what really happened during this time? What do you think is going to be significant? What would be the most significant thing, thing to note that might actually help some systemic change to happen? I mean, what I want her to look at. I mean, so I'm an urbanist by training. So I, I feel like one of the first things I would look at was I would want to see where people lived and died. I want to see where the people who died lived. Because I think that could tell us a lot too, sort of systemically, because then you can see, oh, a lot of people seem to die around um, these farming camps. Or a lot of people died on the particular southwest neighborhood of this city, where we know there is perhaps still, you know, lead-tainted water that people don't want to use even to wash their hands as frequently as they might have to. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, we can see, you know, it happens in sort of clusters around these particular neighborhoods, which we know um, have access to, uh, I don't know, less fresh food and less fresh vegetables, and so might be overly reliant on um, things like the daily food meals that are offered, continue to be offered by schools, but which still continue to um, aggregate people together into, um, despite social practicing distances. You know, so where people live often indicates the kinds of resources that they have access to, which indicates the kinds of resources they can to either protect themselves or to um, 
prevent illness or to make themselves better once they get sick. And that's missing in so many of these maps that we see on the day-to-day front headlines, right? It's just a big U.S. map and it's color-coded based on like how many, yeah, and, and it doesn't zoom all the way into like, is this a poor neighborhood? Is this a rich neighborhood? Is this a sparse neighborhood? Is this a dense neighborhood? Like none of that. Just it's a neighborhood state. where a lot of people go to college and so they yeah. get to work from home rather than having to continue yeah. to go to the grocery store and work on the lines every day. Oh, Meredith, do you think that same information tells us something deeper if we were to look at the kinds of places where the protesters live? Like people who are protesting the shelter in place saying, let me go back to work. Let me do this. Do you think looking at where they live also sheds light on why they have those attitudes and those, you know, demands right now? Right. So we've seen a lot of reports that a lot of those protests are coming from, you know, a lot of the people who are protesting it come from more rural areas where there is just more social distancing in everyday life. And so where there's less, where they're less likely to um, get the coronavirus or to be past the coronavirus um, or in places um, that are wealthier, where they have the option to work from home. They don't, they, you know, there's some minor, there's more inconveniences in their daily life, but they don't have to, um, you know, put their bodies into harm's way and therefore might not realize as a result the kind of risk that other people have to take or the kinds of, um, or the immediacy, right, of the danger because they're just not experiencing it. The, you know, the, the social distancing is working for them. And so it's just not yeah. as apparent what it's doing, the kind of work it's doing to keep them safe. And there's sort of this, like, there's another group too, because if, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I try to listen to the protesters as someone who believes in the power of protest. I think it's important to listen to what people are saying. I want to know if you're protesting something, if you are against something, I want to know what you're saying so that I can get at, really understanding what's bothering you so much because I, I want to help. I want to make things better. So if it's not working for everyone, let me figure out why it isn't. And, you know, it's people who want to get their hair done, people who want to cut their employees checks, people who have employees and they want to open back up their businesses and get folks back to work. And for me, the people who are protesting aren't necessarily the workers. It's the people who are the small business owners who typically, you know, have employees and so they want to cut the checks. They have the most to lose because they could lose their ability to not have to work, right? Like if you're a business owner, if you're a small business owner, you're working, you know, every day, but much like our earlier conversations, you're not sweating that much. You're not smelling Mm -hmm. that much because you're not doing the mechanized work all the time. But, you know, you get to say, I need to help bring people back to work. And you get to say it that way versus mm-hmm. I'm going to lose so much money because I'm a small business owner and I need to go get my roots, you know, done in my hair because, you know, like what? So I feel, I feel like who these folks were protesting, you're right in terms of where they live. They're in a less dense population. Um, they're in richer, more wealthy, more affluent communities. And that, that affluence comes with more space between you and your neighbor, like physical mm-hmm. distance, right? Mm-hmm. Like the more money you have, the more your neighbor isn't someone who you can hear just because your windows are open, right? Like I, I own a house, I'm a homeowner, but I live in a neighborhood that is quote more affordable, which means means that when I open my windows, because I wanted to breeze, I hear all my neighbors. Yeah. And if I wanted more space between me and my neighbors, I'd have to move to another area that You'd might cost more. Yeah, you know, all those things, right? And so I think, 
oh, this is so, this is an interesting time. And, um, and I'm sorry that this isn't the time that your focus of your research is not about, um, because this just takes up so much more room. Uh, in yeah, every- it takes up all the room and it takes up all the air in the room. All the air. So Meredith, my last question to you, which is pretty quick, is if you were to give somebody advice right now who's listening now on what to consume and what not to consume or what to develop or what not to develop, what would your advice be? What should people be doing right now? What would help in the consumption or in the development or, you know, advice on what to stay away from? Um, I mean, so I think for, for me at least, right. So part of the reason to go out to food banks, to try to, you know, talk more to my elderly neighbor and stuff, it's all because, you know, all of your day-to-day life is, if you're lucky, I guess, if you're really lucky, like, like me, um, you get your day-to-day life doesn't involve many other people. You just don't see many other people. Right. And so I think in some way, what you what I wanted to try and develop is, is some means of connection, right. With, with other people, um, with people that I don't normally come into contact with, um, and with people, um, right. That are connected to, to other things that, that might be kind of distant to me. So, um, finding, I mean, cause right. That's, that's, that's always, I guess, of moving from the individual to more sort of social networks and more, um, well, I guess in some ways kind of more broader structures, more social structures as opposed to just individual, individual, individual. So, I mean, I think for me that the thing to develop right now is, is, is means of, of communication and, um, networking and, um, I don't know, just in the absence of like physical touch, like some kind of other form of yeah contact i mean you also have a child and she's fairly young and hopefully won't remember too much about this time that's negative um but will maybe remember you know some other things or we'll just not remember much at all um, <laughs> that was the time mommy frankly. and daddy were so crabby yeah <laughs> and i don't remember i was just really bored you know like who knows <laughs> what she's going to remember but considering what we're going through right now and how things are going down, what advice are you going to have for Eleanor when it's time for her to settle down to a community and to a neighborhood and to a home? Might you give her any advice as she keeps growing up, thinking about best and worst case scenarios? Are you going to encourage her maybe to, oh, what? You're you're interested in buying a farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. That's a great idea. You should get your own water source. You should make sure it has solar panels. Like what, what do you think? (laughs) It has a bunker. That's wonderful. That's not a bad thing. No, don't be creeped out by a, by a prepper bunker. That's actually really great. Like sleep down there. You don't need a bedroom. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Like what kind of like long-term, um, you know, advice, uh, do you think this is also helping you to develop in your parenting? Like, what do you think you're going to really encourage her to keep doing and learning to do? Oh God, I don't know. Stick to I, a schedule. <laughs> Eleanor, stick to a schedule. Always have a schedule for life. That way, no matter what happens, you have your schedule. It's if nothing else. You'll know what to do. <laughs> 
No, I'm serious. Is, would that have been helpful if like you had such a regimented schedule that like nothing could get in the way of it? No, because it's just, I mean, it's just, I, it would be, I mean, we're kind of doing it right. Like, cause this is a schedule based on what her school was doing to some degree. Um, Are you going to encourage know. her to be a teacher knowing what's happening right now to our teachers? Are you going to encourage her to be a, a firefighter? Like what would, what would be the best job and the best place for someone to live if the future means more pandemics, more climate, you know, disasters? Like what do you get her ready for? Uh, she should probably be a doctor in some rural community somewhere. Um, <laughs> I feel like she should just, I, don't, I feel like this, it's the social networks that will get us through this. Right. It's it's the fact that you set up that that chat group for everybody locally and that we could check in and see what we need and see what we can share. Right. It's the social networks is where you can turn where you can even when you can't physically get together with other people. It's the people you can turn to, um, you know, I'm going to talk to my best friend in a little bit and we can bitch about our kids and our partners and how much they're driving us insane. Right. It's the social networks that are just going to like sort of keep you with your head above water and, you know, just to keep you from drowning when who, like who could predict this, but you know, you can predict that your, your friends, your family are, are going to help you get through things that you couldn't even have predicted. Then I'll probably continue to keep, encourage her to read a lot. Right. Cause you can do that anywhere. All right. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. Do you have the social networks to get through any time and can you read? I think, <laughs> I think this, is, this is what schools, schools everywhere just need to completely transform. Because I didn't hear testing. I didn't hear math. <laughs> I didn't hear English. I didn't hear science. I heard, can you, do you have a network of community? Do you know what community means? Does, do you know how to be a giver and a receiver in a community? Do you know how to give of yourself and make meaning of things? And do you know how to read and dream? Like, that's all, that's all that you need. So if schools, if you're going to have a new school schedule, uh, Meredith, it's helping her become more social and more reading, more dreaming, more reading, and way more socializing. She, she needs to start to learn how to call on the phone without Zoom, just the phone, just a plain old pick up the phone and talk to somebody and hear their voice. Because I have a feeling that when this is all over, the last thing we're going to want to do is see each other on a screen. Please. Oh, my no. God out with the zoom but we won't need it like we could sit in a room with each other yeah we'll see how long that lasts oh my gosh okay so Meredith, we can sit in a park somewhere together <laughs> yes well we're actually going to try that one yeah um, let's uh let me preview to you what's going to happen next season so that you can get ready so if i'm lucky and you make the time and are able to talk to me again season three is going to be all about let's say there is a book let's say there's an epic long book like harry potter and it's made about covid19 and one of the books, because it's a book series, one of the books has you and your family as the central characters. What would be the name of that book? And what would be the picture or the image on the cover of that book? That's next season. So I don't know. I described a picture of you face down in the living room with a child <laughs> over you. Maybe it's that. I don't know like what the name of this book me. is. Yes, I don't know what the name of this book is, but I can't wait. Um, so that's our can next read, conversation. Mama, can you read to me? Mama, <laughs> can you read to me? 
Mama, can you read to me? I mean, I, you're spoiling it. So maybe you think <laughs> about it a little bit more. I'll take it as a, you know, as a submitted sort of rough, rough draft. Um, and we'll see where this takes us. Thank you for sharing your current experiences <laughs> and past with us. You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human. Thanks.